0: Okay, I guess I'm supposed to preach. Let's go ahead and do that. Um, so we had a guy come to our church. Uh, I come from a small church. Right. I come from a small church. Our church is so small, Alex. Our church is so small. Uh, we've been using the same loaf of bread for communion for 15 years. I come from a... I like that kid, whoever that was. Our church is so small. Church is so small, uh, we don't have a prayer tree, we have a prayer shrub. Our church is so small. Our church is so small, we don't even gossip. That's my favorite one, because we're all like, oh yeah, we do that so bad. We don't want to, we just can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, our church. We're. Uh, I, I'm not setting that up. Uh, so, at our church, we had a guy come in and he was doing a presentation. He came up to me, uh, and he said, "So, uh, do you get your lunches delivered, uh, or do you have to go out and order them yourself?" And we shared a good laugh because this new church leadership book had just come out, where one of the pieces of advice the pastor had was, "Get your lunch delivered." And that way, you won't get decision fatigue. That didn't really relate to us at all. Uh, I actually, that's one of my favorite things to do every day is to figure out what I'm going to eat. That made me actually think back to one of the first ministry books I ever read. And it's by a guy that had a crystal cathedral. Is anybody here old enough to know that guy? Okay, the crystal cathedral guy. It actually has been sold. That's sad. But anyways, his, uh, his thing was, he goes, you know... The more successful you get in life, the more things you have to give up. And he said, so I got to the point where I had to give up driving. So he was driven around in a limo. And I felt like that was the most self-aggrandizing thing I've ever read in my life. And so that brings me to this scripture today. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14, right? Right? Matthew 25:14 For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave 5 talents, to another he gave 2, and to another 1, each according to their ability. That's a tough one to read anyways, but then when you throw that in there you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you judging your servants? He who had received, oh, sorry, then he sent him away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. That's like your friend who's like, yeah, we bought another house, and it's gone so much in value that we're going to buy another house. It's crazy. We don't have to laugh. I don't laugh either. So he also had, uh, so also had the two talents. The guy that made the two talents went out and made two more. Alex, I'm so sorry. We'll, I'll, I'll finish this up. But he who had received just one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them and he who had received the five talents came forward brought five more talents with him saying master uh, you yeah master you delivered to me five talents and here i've made five more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, pretty good. The other guy made five. That's not what he said. He said, good job. You got two. You made two. Well done. Well done. Good. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over more. Enter into the joy of your master. He, also, uh, he who had also received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master, his, his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. Or depending on your translation, you wicked and sla- and slazy servant. I don't know what that is, but it's Andrew. Where's Andrew? Did he leave? Does he not stay for the service? Okay. What's the word you gave me? Well, no. Sh- shugi? Uh, sorry, I was being a little chugi there. If you don't understand what that word is, I didn't until about 25 minutes ago. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would at least have gotten my money back with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the guy that's got ten, for to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's a talent? Now, there are several different um, definitions of what a talent can be. Uh, the one that was the one that happened in most of the commentaries that I read say a talent is worth like, a, a talent is worth like 6,000 days' wage. According to the Bible uh, book, uh, it refers to the measure of weight from 57 to 80 pounds. So what that says is if someone were to make $15 an hour and they work eight hours per day, one talent of gold would be worth 21.6 million dollars. Okay, so the guy writes, "This is truly a hyperbolic amount of money, or hyperbolic amount of money, to me at least. That's a lot of money. Talent has nothing to do with like, "Oh, I can sing and dance." No, this is money." He gave him a certain amount of money. 21 million, 42 million and 100 some million. So much so that even if you got one, you'd be like, "Uh, oh, this is all right. So what happens? Here's what happens. When I was a little kid, I went to church camp every year and we sang... uh, Lord, prepare me. Oh, wait. Boom. That's way chuggy back. At summer camp, I was in like second or third grade. And a guy came up to me. And he wasn't the speaker or the dean of the camp. He was like their boss. He walked up to me and he said, as a little kid, he goes, this kid, it would be amazing to watch his life and see what he becomes. Now, at that age... I do remember him saying that. And that became a very important part of my life. And I kept thinking, wow, I am great. I'm glad that he noticed this at a young age. And so I would think, I'm gonna be great wherever God puts me. Of course, God will put me in the best. Why wouldn't he? I'm great. So I assume reading stories like this I am a five-talent guy. Why? Because there wasn't a 10-talent guy listed. And so everywhere I went in ministry, I assumed would be better and bigger and more money and more people and caring about people or whatever, and it would get better and better and better and better as defined by me. I wanted to be great for God for me. Hopefully I'm the only one that's, hopefully all of you are like, well, that's terrible. I don't feel that way at all. You can tune out the next 15 minutes or so. When I read this story, I think about my life. I'm 40-some years old. I'm a tad pudgy. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm a two-talent guy. Because I look at some of my contemporaries and I go, oh, no, she is better than me. That guy, if he had my job, would do more. (laughs) That's okay. Matter of fact, what this story shows me is that may be one of the best revelations in my life is to look at that and go, hey, maybe I'm a two-talent guy. Because reading that, I would assume I'm five. If I was handed, by God, $40 million, and someone else was handed $100 million, when I was 20-something, when I was, let's be honest, when I was in my mid-30s still, I would go, what? This was just fine until I saw this happen. Why are we doing it this way? That's not, f- uh-oh, that's the word. That's not fair. Not one of us can look at this story and go, oh, no, no, that's fine. That's how it should work. Because when I look around, I see people that are great, some that are fine, and some that, let's be honest. It's kind of like Oklahoma. You know what the state motto of Oklahoma is? The state motto of Oklahoma is Oklahoma's okay. I've been there. They're right. It's not great, it's not terrible. It's okay. We did go to the Husker game yesterday, and uh, we scored a touchdown. I ate a runzo, we scored another touchdown. That's all I remember. Um, it was a great game. My wife had the hot dog, but I did post it and act like I had it. I can't eat like I used to. So I packed one, I'm gonna bring it in the bag on the way home. So this bothers me. It really does. It really bothers me. Because the, the phrase in there that really gets to me is, is the phrase that goes, the master gave it to the servant. Not just that willy-nilly, not just however he wanted to, but he gave it to the servant, the servants based on their ability. Which if you look at that parable, it's a parable, right? It really happened. It's a parable. Jesus said it to teach us about God or the kingdom of heaven or both, both. If the master is God, if the master is God, you're telling me that God's children, he made some of us to be able to handle five, two, or one? I don't know if I dig that. Let's make it worse now, okay? We're going to make it worse, and then we're going to come back into it. Matthew 20, starting at verse 1. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a ma- Am I cutting in and out, or is it just my ears? <laughs> Honey, can we set up an appointment? Okay. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, "Hey, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you." So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing, and about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing there, and he said to them, "Why are you standing here idle all day?" And they said, "Well, nobody wanted to hire us." So he said to them, "Well, go into the vineyard too." I'm loving the story so far. Right? You want to work? Yeah. Come on. You want to work? Absolutely. You? Yeah. Let's do this. And it's a vineyard. It's fun. Grapes and stuff. I don't know. Amen. It'll be great. I'm going to pay you whatever. Let's do this. With the first people of the day, he specifically says, this is what I'm going to pay you. And every one of them goes, fantastic. Agreed. That will work. I'll do it. I'm sure there'll be no twists in the story. Let's keep going. And when uh, evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired at the 11th hour, so that would be the last people hired, the ones that like, let's be honest, got their boots and gloves on and went, that's it, we're done? was all right. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one of them received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Why? I worked harder. We had an agreement. The agreement wasn't to pay you a denarius. And at that time, you're like, awesome. And you agreed to do it. Why do you think you get more? Why? I'm a human being, and that's not fair. And on receiving the denarius, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Isn't that great? It's warm out here, Alex, so whatever we agreed on, you need to pay me more, let's be honest. (laughs) But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I did to you. Am I not allowed to do? Sounds like the first worker may have had a younger brother that at some point asked his father for half the inheritance and squandered it and came home. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or, you, or do you, to the first servant, he says, to the first ones worked all day, he says, or do you begrudge my generosity? Right? He's looking at them and he's going, you got a lot of gall. You're going to come to me and complain now? And so he says, so the last will be first, and the first, last. I've looked at this parable before, and i focused on the vineyard owner saying, I can pay you guys whatever I want. I'm in charge. You needed work, I gave you work. Matter of fact, maybe I should just say to every one of you, you're welcome. Leave me alone now. You don't uh, You don't like what I paid you? Go. Go build your own vineyard. It's my vineyard. This is free market economy. Political as we're gonna go, all right. But the vineyard owner—did I get an amen on that one? I gotta keep going. Okay, the vineyard owner isn't sarcastic. It's his vineyard; it's not theirs. He he graciously went out all day to hire people all day. He graciously kept going out all day to get more workers. He made sure that they knew what they're gonna get paid, so that none of them uh, none of them would be taken advantage of. Uh, he continued all the way through. And where the problem come from? It came from the workers going, "That's not fair." That's not fair. What we already agreed on wasn't fair. That would be like a professional athlete getting this huge contract and then going, wait, wait a second. I caught the ball seven times in that game. You should pay me more. You guys watch sports? That's like literally all they do. They complain about their contracts. Okay. Thank you for not showing up to one of my comedy shows. That would not have gone well for any of us. Or is the sermon so good? It's not that. Keep going. Okay that was a big laugh over here. Okay. If we continue the human line of thought, you could look at this and go, well, you know what? That's not fair. We can call it whatever we want, but that's not fair. It's not fair to pay people the same thing for doing a bunch of different stuff. That's not fair at all. We could build a case. We could say, hey, maybe instead of uh, paying uh, the salary, the owner should have paid hourly. Like, honestly, maybe we should unionize this thing. Uh, Humanly, we can discuss that all that we want and we can try to make a case or come up with the best uh, problem. But here's the rub, Um, the owner is God. The owner is God. So who's right or wrong in any situation, me or God? Me, every time. That's a really, really good trait as a Christian is to go, no matter what I think, if God thinks differently, I'm wrong. Why would God tell us this parable? Well, when the master handed out the talents, whose talents are they? They're the master, oh, thank you. It took a little while, but we got there. Master's talents. Hey, you can have this for a while. I'm coming back. Right? What do we get? We get a lot of cool stuff. We get spouses, but, well, I mean, singular per person, but we get, depending on your interpretation. Um, I'm a New Testament guy. Uh, we get spouses, we get kids, we get jobs, we get friends, we get... You know how much a big church would pay to build this inside? Have you been to one where you're like, actually, it's probably like $2 million, and we're just like, is, are, is there a rental fee? You guys doing it for free? Boom. <laughs> Every other church this morning, eat your heart out. <laughs> Hey, what's your backdrop? Oh, it's just like this historic bridge. <laughs> People literally come here to take family photos. Like in like 10 minutes, so we gotta get out of here. But. What are we, that's the dumbest question? What are we given by God? Oh, I don't know, my whole life. Literally everything. Breath, joy, happiness. Think of the fruit of the spirit. All those things. Fruit of the spirit, by the way, are not things that we can make, right? Peace. Peace, patience, joy, love, all those things are a fruit of the Spirit living in us. Unbelievable. And, like, we spent so much money and so much time trying to figure out, how am I going to be happy? How am I going to be good? How is this all going to work out? And God's like, all the things that you want are free. You're doing all of this so that you can have some joy in your life. I will just give that to you. How? Through the death of my son on the cross. And it's yours. All you do is accept it and and be baptized, or is it part of the story, or is it, whatever. If you have a question about that, Alex would love to answer that after the service. Um, But just, that's it. We're here, like, maybe not you. I'm here complaining, but that guy got five. You only gave me two. And God's going, I sent my son to die on the cross for you so that you not only can have eternal life with me, but you can, you can live every single day full of joy and love. You've got stuff to do. The way I've created you can be a part of my kingdom. And you will be more fulfilled than you would ever dream that you could be on this side of heaven. And that's not including what happens on the other side of death. Amen. I know. Amen. So good. The untreated water, do not drink. At the turn of the century, the Los Angeles Lakers had two of the all-time greatest basketball players. No Lakers fans. <laughs> you're not really a fan if you go. Eh. Or no, you're like no, they, I don't like them at all. I'm with you on that one. Okay, I don't care. So you wanted to speak up and say I don't care. I appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. Two of the all-time greatest basketball players, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Those two, <laughs> okay. Oh, no, it's for the kids. That's fine. Uh, those two players might be among the 10 greatest players who have ever played basketball. I said might. I'm not trying to start argument. They're very, very good. If you were to look at talents, you would look at the two of them and say easily both of them are five talent basketball players. They're the best. Uh, different games, but all, both of them can take over and win games by themselves. Unbelievable basketball players. Now, you wouldn't play them the same, though. If you were Phil Jackson and you needed two points at the end of the game, three points at the end of the game, you need three points at the end of the game, you're Phil Jackson, what you wouldn't do is set up a shot for Shaquille O'Neal to have to, let's be honest, make any shot whatsoever, but to make a three-pointer. If you did that, that is ridiculous. Now, let's go a little bit further. If you were the coach of Shaquille O'Neal when he was in elementary school and probably 6'5", and you were looking at this little kid, and you're like, you know what, buddy? You've got some skills, but you'll never make it if you don't get behind the three-point line. You've got to turn into a three-point shooter. Shaquille O'Neal is not even arguably one of the top three centers who have ever played basketball. One of the most dominant forces that literally changed how they had to officiate games, or it would have been a lot like Oklahoma playing Nebraska. What makes a good coach? Getting the best out of their players. Bill Jackson, Uh, we're just gonna have Shaq. You stand kind of around by the hoop and whenever you get the ball, just put it in there. And if there's four or five people around you, I don't think it's gonna affect you. Kobe, when you have the ball, just shoot it because I don't think Kobe was gonna listen anyways. Just, Just shoot that ball. The master gave the servants talents based on their abilities. So let's make it even worse. God gave me two talents, but he also made me a guy that can only handle two talents. I can look at it that way, or I can look at it this way. God loves me and knows me so well that he knows if he were to hand me five talents, I would blow up. I would not know what I'm doing. I would hate it, I'd be a fish out of water. All through my 20s, I wanted to be the lead pastor at a mega church. And I don't mean like 10,000, I mean like two, 250, 300,000. But seriously, I wanted to be that. I knew that's what God had destined me to be the lead pastor at a mega church. That's it. And I knew that because I really wanted to do that, and I'm sure that God wanted that for me too. What would have happened to me and those 250,000 people if God let that happen? I don't think it would have gone great. The greatest opening line of any book ever written was in Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, where he starts it off by going, it's not about you. So there's the rub. Those parables, they're not about us. I read the Bible as though I'm the main character. It's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> I know God loves us with an incredible love, and I'm not doubting that at all, at all, at all. But I am not the main character in the Bible. <laughs> I'm not the, I better not be a main character in your Bible. That's weird. I, you're not the main character in your Bible. God is, God, it, the Bible is about God. It's all about God well done. Not what I want to hear from the guy grilling my steak. But it is what I want to hear from the master. Because that's what I've been looking for my entire life. I just want to be told that I'm doing well with the things that I'm supposed to be doing well with. I would just love for God to look down and audibly whisper, hey, you're a great, you're a great husband. You're a great dad. I'm pretty sure hearing those two things, I'd be like, okay, i pretty sure I have no worries now. That's what I was going for, God, thank you. I wanna know from the creator and sustainer of life that I've done well with what he gave me. God didn't say, well done, good and successful servant. But that's what I have always read. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he says, I will put you in charge of many things. I already told you I'm a two-talent servant. I really don't understand what that part means. Alex is two and a half to a three-talent servant easily. Ask him. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. I don't know what that means. I read all about it. Uh, But then he says, come and share my happiness. I think I've got that one figured out. That's the payoff I'm looking for. I assume that's eternal heaven. And if that's not enough motivation for me to follow God, I don't know what would be. Right? (laughs) Think about it. If heaven's not good enough, what, 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 what else do you want? I can be with the perfect, loving God for all eternity? Yeah, that'll be all right. But there's three servants. And to be completely honest, the one that I uh, really actually feel like the most is the guy who got the one talent and he buried it because because he was afraid, right? He was afraid, so he did nothing. There are many times that I wanted to quit the ministry. So much so that I figured out how many vending machines I would have to purchase at Sam's Club to replace my current income. 14, if you're... It's 14. Warren Wearsby writes, "...it's dangerous to build theology on parables, for parables illustrate, illustrate truth in vivid ways. The man with the one was cast out into darkness, okay? The man was dealt with by the Lord... He lost his opportunity for service and he gained no praise or reward. And he says to me, this is Warren Wearsby." he says to me, that is outer darkness. Now first, I uh, want to state, I do believe in an eternal hell. And I believe that's what awaits us if we are not, if we have not accepted um, the call from Jesus uh, to accept him as our savior. But we have to remember that hell isn't the only bad thing that can happen to a person. It's the worst. It's not the only bad thing. Many of us can struggle with identity and purpose because we haven't been using our talent for the master. I'm actually going to be so bold as to say that unless you're using what God has entrusted you with for his glory, you are failing. You are unfaithful, and you feel the result of that. It's an emptiness. It's a void. It's an unhappiness. It's a general displeasure or guilt. But the beautiful thing, the reverse of that is so... It's so simple. I just trust him. Hey, you're going to work all day. I'm going to pay you the same as the guy that works an hour. I hope that every one of us would go, you're going to pay me? Thank you. You're so good. Not one of us took communion and went, God, you're welcome. Right? That's horrible even to say, isn't it? But none of us. Right? Every single one of us takes I'm assuming every single one of us takes that every week. Or, Mm. All right. We take it every week. Like the Bible. (laughs) Okay. We take it every week, but we take it every week. And every week we get this beautiful reminder that like, oh, gee, whatever I think of myself. I'm worse than I think. Um, I'm worse than I think. But God is actually, he's looking at me. He thinks I'm better than I think. And it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, heaven is... Reserved for those people that Jesus knows, and I'm one of them, and I can't believe this. And the fact that God would still want to love me after everything that I do, think, and be, and all that stuff is incredible. And it's not only that I'm just held like a little child there, He also then is like, Hey, I want you to do something. Me? Yeah, I want you to do something. But I only got two talents. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for this day. That's an understatement when we're outside. God, thank you very much for this beautiful day. But more important than any of those things, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have created each one of us uniquely. And every single one of us is a beloved child of God. Matter of fact, the most... The deepest title that any one of us wears is Beloved of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.